The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to CMO Week on the MarTech Podcast. This week, we're talking to five CMOs to understand how they navigate their way up the corporate ladder to become some of the most prominent marketers in the world. Joining us today is Alan Gelman. Alan is the Chief Marketing Officer at Credible, which is a lending marketplace that brings simplicity, choice, and unbiased support to all of life's important financial decisions. Prior to his current role, Alan has been the CMO of eSurance and an SVP at Wells Fargo. Outside of his work, Alan is also a board member of the CMO Council and PACT, an adoption alliance for underprivileged youth. For information. Okay, here is our interview with the CMO of Credible, Alan Gelman. Alan, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you here, and I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about your career in marketing. And specifically, you've worked in some of the most competitive and complicated industries in the world. So let's just start off by talking a little bit about how you started off. How did you get into marketing? Well, I was a not unusual, fairly clueless college student in terms of I really didn't know what I wanted to do. My family seemed to know more than I did because they knew I had wanted to sell everything I could get my hands on growing up. But I was in college and really didn't know what I wanted to do to the extent that I was in my junior year and a college counselor called me in and said, you do know that you need to have a major to graduate. And I was like, okay, what have I got? And she said, well, you put these things together, you're closest to an international relations major. So I said, okay, that's my major. That's how unfocused I was. Until later that year, there was a session that Procter & Gamble was putting on about brand management, which I'd never heard of, but a friend was going and said I should come along. And I can't tell you, before that session started to the end, I went from completely unfocused to I had absolute crystal clarity as to what I wanted to do based on just that one hour session. So there was some sort of resonance that you had with your exposure to brand management at Procter & Gamble. Looking back on what that meeting was about, what do you think stood out to you as the reason why brand management specifically was something that you thought was a good fit for you? So what I learned then and discovered later for myself was all about putting the customer at the center, having insights about human beings and their behaviors and their needs and wants, 
and then figuring out how to deliver those with products and services. And that's what brand management was all about, the intersection of consumers and humanity with analytics, with building a business. And I realized I had a business orientation and all three of those pieces came together. I'm just curious, before you decided I'd be an international relations major and then change your focus towards marketing, what were some of the classes that stuck out to you? What were some of the things that you were interested in without actually having sort of formalized the path you were going to go down from an education standpoint? So I came into college thinking I was going to be a psychology major because I knew my interest in people and consumers and understanding human behavior. Turned out I wasn't so well cut out for psychology in its pure form. And I wasn't so much on the academic side of it and the theory side. In fact, I got a C in my first course, which was a pretty good indicator that it might not be where I'd want to put my energy. But the idea was right, which was it was about consumers and humans and what makes them tick. And that fascinated me always then and still always now. So there was a human-centric approach to the discipline of marketing that attracted you. As you branched out from your education earlier in your career, what direction did you head and did you go down the brand management path? I did. So coming out of that meeting, it was a clear goal. I want to be a brand manager at a consumer packaged goods company. And as I did a little research, it became clear there were a top three at the time. It was Procter & Gamble, General Foods, which was later acquired by Kraft and General Mills. And I said, all right, I knew I wanted to work for one of those three companies. What was it going to take? So I learned that for the most part, they really wanted you to have an MBA and work experience. What kind of work experience? The advice I got at the time was you want me to have sales or advertising as a great basis. I decided I didn't really want to go into sales. So I graduate and I took some time overseas came back and went to work in advertising and looked for my first job there for a couple of years before getting that MBA. So what was the experience that you got working in advertising? Were you on the ad buying side, an analyst? Was it a broad experience? So I went into media planning. Funny story there was I applied for a job with a company called Dancer Fitzgerald Sample, later bought by Saatchi and Saatchi. And I thought I was applying for an account management job, which is what I understood advertising to be in the marketing side of it. Turned out it was a bunch of media people I was interviewing with. So I pivoted in the conversations and realized that was a deeply analytic function. Again, understanding where people are, how to find them, targeting and so forth. And I wound up going into media for a couple of years. And many people thought I would take my whole career there. I really loved what I did. So instead of being the madman style marketer, being an account manager responsible for managing relationships, you end up being focused on a more data-driven function of marketing and learn a little bit about targeting and customer profiling early on in your career. That's right. And then media profiling, as well as realizing you can bring in creativity. There was a time one of my clients was Cadbury and York Peppermint Patties was one of their candies. And looking at the profiles, I said, we really ought to be in subways, which people said, that's crazy. You don't put food in subways because no one did that at the time. But it was a great targeting mechanism in key markets. The creative team loved me because I gave them a giant canvas to work with. And it wound up being a really successful test. So I found you could combine analytics and creativity and media as well to reach people in meaningful ways. Interesting. So how long did you stay in the media buying space? And then what did you do next? 
I was just there for a year and a half because, again, I was getting work experience. I was told to get a couple of years of experience and then go back for an MBA. So I applied. I got a nearly full scholarship to go to the University of Rochester Simon School. So that saved me from having to just do nighttime for three or four years and went back full time, got my MBA. And during my time there, again, still clear, I wanted to work for one of three companies. And Simon School was a top 20 school, but not a top five and a little school up in Rochester. So not as much recruiting. It really was up to me to go pitch myself essentially to these companies since they weren't coming to campus and wound up with offers from Procter & Gamble and General Foods and two of my three targets and went to work for General Foods. So it sounds like you were pretty targeted and driven towards a specific career track, getting into product management and brand management. Eventually, you worked your way through to Kraft Foods after your MBA. Tell me about what the experience was like as an operator, somebody still early in their career, but post-MBA, working in product management. So the experience going in, again, initially was at General Foods before the acquisition. I was a marketing assistant. And We joked around that, in fact, I even made a card because everyone kept saying, Alan will do this or let Alan do that. And someone said, what is he, a marketing slave? So we actually had business cards made that called me a marketing slave. So that was my (laughs) unofficial title. (laughs) We still have one of those cards somewhere. But it was about analytics. It was about doing research. We did a lot of packaging work because I learned some great lessons from our general manager of the division at the time where most people would do packaging development in a conference room and they know when we're going to look at the design, we're going to put it mock up packages and go over to a local supermarket and see what it looks like to see how do you stand out? What placement on the shelf? What does this look like next to where else you're going to be? So just good hands-on experience on the analytics, on the design side, and then into product development. We were in an industry, frozen novelties, pudding pops, and other kinds of frozen bars that was super competitive and you lived and died by your new product that year. So I got to do a lot of new product development, working with our R&D and our manufacturing teams as well. So you really were a mini general manager in product management and packaged goods. And I got a lot of that early experience out of the gate. So how did the combination of your media buying experience, learning the ability to target and be creative and figure out ad placements, and then the more general management experience that you got at General Foods, which is now Kraft, how did that shape how you operate today as a marketing leader? Quite a bit. I'm a big believer how we grow up as marketers and early in our careers do really shape us as leaders. So for me, it was always consumer-centric, which means deeply understanding them through research and analytics. So I was always focused on those elements to then create insight and really say, marketing is not about convincing people to buy your stuff. Marketing is about figure out what people need and figure out how to give it to them and then tell them that's what you're doing. So the communication is actually last in that sequence. Insight comes first, delivery comes second, and only then comes the communication. I learned that early on, and that's been critical for me as a leader throughout my career. So as you move beyond being an individual contributor, eventually you move out from working at General Foods and Kraft and and come to some other organizations and take on director-level roles. Tell me about what that experience was and what do you see as the difference between being an individual contributor and being somebody that's sort of in the middle tier of their career, that director level? Yeah. And in between, there's your first job as a manager. So I was fortunate enough, that same general manager I referred to earlier who taught me about packaging, he'd moved on in his career 
And he actually wound up bringing me out to California to work for Conagra Grocery Products, Hunt Wesson, products like Hunt Snack Pack and so forth. And it was an enormous leap. I went from an individual contributor product manager at Kraft, and he moved me into a director position, skipping a level. So instead of managing people first, I wound up managing managers of people. And frankly, it was a leap that was really hard to make. And I wasn't very good at it at first, the people management side of it. Because as a director, and especially you're managing managers, you're now guiding groups and teams to do things versus you're doing it yourself. And what does it mean to learn how to mentor people, how to coach people, how to set expectations in ways that let them fly without doing their job for them? At the same time, territory in management called situational leadership, which I'm a big fan of, which says you have to help people develop in different aspects of their jobs in different ways. So in one task, somebody on your team may do, they may be great at it. You can just totally delegate, tell them to come back and they tell you what they've done. On another task, that same person doesn't know a lot and you need to hold their hand all along the way with deep coaching. And knowing that and understanding that as a leader is something that that middle manager really needs to learn. That's one. The second is a critical role. And I've taught a course around with middle managers, directors, and even VPs when you're a new VP. You are in that layer of an organization where you need to be really running the organization, managing down, but you're also managing up. You're really in that middle place where you have to engage at the organizational and executive level in much more sophisticated ways while still being the hands-on leader leading teams in the trenches. So if I'm hearing what you're saying is essentially there's the director level where you're starting to learn the team management skills and you're basically understanding how to motivate and how to educate people that are working on your team to be effective so you can delegate. And then the difference between that director level and a vice president level is at the vice president level, you're also focused on managing upwards more. And that's when some of the intercompany politics and you kind of have to learn how to play the game a little bit. I'm assuming most of that is resource negotiation. And there's some more nuanced things at larger organizations that VP levels and up to senior executives have to figure out. That's true. You actually get into that at the director level as well. That's where you first need to start to navigate the broader organization and really understand what makes people tick. What are their objectives? What are the projects they're trying to get done? And where does your work fit into their work? Because you don't get to tell them what to do. It's a lot of influence management. That starts at the director level, and you're right, it grows even more at the VP and more senior levels. But already at the director level, you really have to figure out how to navigate across your peers and across peers outside your organization, as well as VPs and above from your director slot. So that level is really important. So when you're at ConAgra Foods, this is your first time as a director. What were some of the hard lessons that you learned from that role? First off was... I was a very effective individual contributor. I was good at what I did. The skills across brand management, I had developed fairly well. And I needed to let other people fly. I needed to let other people make their decisions, even if they were going to be different from mine. I'll give you an example of a director who I worked for, who was a great mentor and model for me. This is back in the craft days. So there's a woman who was the director, and she and I disagreed on what to present to the general manager. Of course, she's the boss. She was actually my boss's boss at the time. And I had a strong view, I think it was about packaging. 
And she said, no, I think it should be this other way. So of course we do it her way. Well, no, she said to me, I'll tell you what, we're going to present both ways to Dave, the GM. I'm going to be clear on what my point of view is, but you'll get to share yours as well. And if you can convince them that yours is better, I'm good with that. Which was unbelievably great leadership to let someone two levels below you have a different perspective managing and presenting up the line. Now, it went her way. It sounds like her way of saying, I'm going to let him tell you that you're wrong instead of me telling you. Well, she was taking what could have been perceived as a risk. Mm -hmm. She was actually giving me a chance to grow and learn and present and pitch. And she believed in me. I was a strong person on our team. And I got to do that. And I'm telling this story 30 years later, for God's sake. That means a lot. I learned so much from that simple act of selflessness and teaching me to grow that I took on later as a director and VP myself. So how do you let others lead, including how do you let people make decisions different than you would make because there's not one right answer or your answer may not be the best. They're closer to it often. So I had to learn those lessons as a director. And as I alluded to, when I first became a director, I remember being in a meeting with a manager who was managing a cross-functional team. He had his own direct reports. And I wound up being in this meeting, newbie, trying to show my value and contradicted my direct report in a meeting with others, which is about as bad as it gets. And I felt horrible afterwards. I had to wait months to regain his respect and ultimately did. And we built a great relationship. But that's not how you lead. If I'm going to disagree with him, disagree outside the meeting. But by the way, his answer was probably better than mine anyway. So that's what you need to learn as a director and become effective. And then learn what's really important and how do you get people bought into your vision and how do you let them help shape your vision? And that's true at the director level and on up to the CMO level. So as your director level experience at ConAgra comes to a close, you move from being a director to a vice president at Blue Shield of California. And I mentioned in our introduction that you've worked in some of the more competitive and some of the more complicated industries around. Tell me about the move from working in consumer packaged goods to healthcare. And then also, what was your experience like as you moved up the chain to the vice president level? So... Sometimes in your career, you actually are better off making lateral moves to grow and learn new areas and new things. I had decided that 10 years into packaged goods, it was time for a change. And I loved what I did. I loved the new product development and the consumer orientation. I also was, had come to believe there were industries where I could have a greater impact and it mattered even more to people's lives, like healthcare and later financial services. At the same time, making a move like that, I didn't move from director at Conagra to VP at Blue Shield. I actually moved to another director job at Blue Shield where I could learn a lot of new things. I grew and it was not a promotion, but it was a nice compensation change. But it was more about learning a new area from a comfortable perch. I understood how to be a director and I was learning a new industry and it was a very challenging new industry to learn went from being the middle of a wheel leading and line management in the language of business to staff management, where I was no longer driving the P&L as I did in packaged goods, but rather I was a staff function accountable for marketing. And I came into director of consumer marketing and then about a year later was promoted to VP, but that was actually to VP of e-business. We were just forming a new function. So to your question, what did it mean to become a vice president and what did that entail? 
in my case, it was moving up so I could run a function and impact a new business within the organization. And now I was truly working cross-functionally even more. I was deeply working with our operations team, deeply working with our IT team, deeply working with our medical management and provider relations teams. So I was working outside marketing even more than I was working within marketing at the VP level. It seems like that's one of the consensus comments about what it means to be a vice president is that your focus isn't just within your area of function, but you need to start understanding the entire business. And the thing that's interesting to me about your shift from consumer packaged goods to Blue Shield of California is you're not only moving to a different level and a different set of responsibilities in your career, but you're learning a dramatically different industry Just give me your thoughts quickly about what it takes to move to a different industry when you don't have a lot of experience and what advice do you have for people that are making that jump? It was the hardest move of my career by a long shot. I thought I understood so much about what it meant to be a marketer and what it meant to be successful in a business. And I walk into an industry where I didn't know the language. I didn't know how things operated. So the starting point is deep humility. And I learned it really fast where everything I knew about targeting and differentiation through all my experience in these different companies had to go out the door in part, not entirely. And the example here was I learned that Blue Shield had this awesome program for pregnant women, for preparing to have a baby and caring for that baby. And it's like, okay, great. We're going to put a big marketing push and tell people about this differentiated experience for pregnant women. And I was putting all this differentiation together and our cost side folks said, whoa, 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 time out. You can't do that. If you do that, you're going to draw all these people to us. I said, yeah, that's the whole idea. And they said, no, 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 you don't understand. You're now going to draw pregnant women to us and they're expensive because they're guaranteed hospital stays. It's like, wait, wait, it's called adverse selection in the industry. Mm -hmm. So it was a head turner for me to say, wait, this thing that we're better at, that we give better care, I now can't talk about because I'm going to draw the wrong people. Now, we worked through it because the lifetime value concept came in. And it turns out once you get out of that hospital, those young women are actually very low risk and great return from a healthcare perspective. And likely bring the whole family. Correct. So it wound up being a good outcome, but it was a very challenging conversation for a marketer to suddenly realize, no, don't talk about that thing that differentiates you is counter to everything we learn. So humility, but then thinking about what is it you do know that you're really good at that you can bring and then really dive in and figure out what makes this organization tick, what makes this industry tick. By the way, CMO didn't mean chief marketing officer in Blue Shield of California. It meant chief medical officer. That's another head turner, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I didn't even know what provider relations did versus care management versus case management. So you learn the language, you learn the people, and like everything else, and this is where important coaching comes in, both mentor coaching and getting external help when you need it, is who are the human beings who are going to impact your career? who are going to impact this organization, who are going to help you get what you need done, and what do you need to do to help them get what they need done. And really thinking about organization dynamics and what organization effectiveness is, is marketing too. If you think about apply that knowledge of human beings, what makes people tick? I talked before about the consumers. It's equally important for your success as a marketer to understand what that means internally in the organization that you've joined. 
I'm going to use a football metaphor here. The metaphor is that when you're on the road, the running game and defense travels. And in football, that means when you're playing in a hostile environment, if you can run the ball and if you can defend the other team, you have a better probability of winning. And to me, the reason why I bring that up is as you're moving industries and you're going to a place where you're unfamiliar, the building team dynamics always travels. Working within the organization and helping to understand the people that you're working with makes a lot of sense. And I'll add that the underlying principles of marketing, figuring out who your customers are, learning about them and figuring out what value you can provide to them travels as well. Even when you don't have a great expertise in the industry, those are sort of the things that you can bring with you from job to job. You're spot on. And what I'll build on with that is the people you're working with may not know that. So joining healthcare. Healthcare is not known then or now for great consumer focus or insight. And the organization is built not around the marketers, but around the care management and about the operations. So understanding that, that you need to not only bring what you know, but educate those inside. This is what's important. This is how you get consumer insight and get some wins on the board. And that was even true within my own team. When I first joined as director at Blue Shield, there are people there, you know, one of my direct reports had wanted my job. And that's not unusual, right? That's not just a career change or an industry change. But it was, I needed to earn the respect of my own team and my peer group, as well as the broader organization that, oh, this guy, he doesn't know our world, but he wants to learn it. And he's bringing something to us that we do, in fact, need to deliver on our strategy. So the interesting thing to me about your career path is you started off very much focused on consumer packaged goods, and then you made this shift at the executive level and to a new industry. And then once you're at the executive level, you've actually moved to different industries relatively frequently. First, you were in healthcare. The next stop in your career was a long one working in Wells Fargo. So now you're in banking and financial products. And eventually you moved into insurance where you were the CMO working in an insurance property. So tell me about your experiences as an executive at Wells Fargo and at insurance. Is there a playbook that you used to move to those different industries that you can relay to our audience? Yeah, I can. And in fact, one thing I want to hit as a setup for it is Wayne Gretzky says, skate to where the puck is going, not where it is. And I managed my career in marketing the same way. So when I joined Blue Shield, one, I wanted to learn the industry, as I talked about, but I also wanted to move towards e-commerce and e-business, although they weren't calling it e-business yet. And Blue Shield was creating this thing called mylifepath.com. And I always get to manage that and build it. So I knew I wanted to learn the internet. I wanted to get involved in this thing that was clearly going to be important and got a job doing that. Similarly, when I left Blue Shield, I had now built e-business as a division. I went from person number one as VP of e-business to form this division to I left it when we were 50 or 60 people and now infused throughout the operations and I'd learned the operational and technical pieces of it. I then went to Wells Fargo where I did want to get back into a deeper marketing function. Financial services, again, very different from healthcare, but much more similar to healthcare than healthcare was to packaged goods. It's a complex heavily regulated service business that confuses people and they really don't want to deal with. And often that they don't think very positively of. Exactly right. And in fact, that was my pitch when I was interviewing for the job as SVP at Wells Fargo, because everyone in the interviews predictably and appropriately was saying, you don't know financial services. Why would you be right for this job? It was especially was a strategy and analytic job in marketing. 
And my answer was, you're right, I don't know financial services, but this is what I know. I understand highly regulated organizations and all the things I just said. And they said, oh, you do understand financial services, <laughs> just not exactly our world. And that was true. It was the bridge for me to learning another new industry. But coming in at a strategic level, I didn't need to know the operational sausage making. I would have been a terrible operator at Wells Fargo at first because I did need to learn from a perspective of this strategy, the research, the analytics, which is the functions I led, the customer experience. That's what I was focused on in my first five years at Wells. And then I pivoted back to more operational marketing, which was leading digital marketing for Wells Fargo. And then I needed to get deeper into understanding each of the individual lines of business to effectively drive the marketing for them. And that was also a strategic move to uh, just as at Blue Shield, I had wanted that internet experience. Now, digital marketing was growing so much and I wanted to be deep back in it in ways that I had never been before. And I became fairly expert as a digital marketer in those five years because that's what I wanted to learn how to do, knowing that would be important for the future of marketing. Without that, I wouldn't have been able to then pivot and get the CMO job at eSurance, where I'm now managing all the functions I previously managed, plus a couple more but very much the intersection of brand marketing and performance marketing of how do you count the widgets, the performance side, with how do you build a brand? And that's what I was doing when I made the move to insurance, which was easy from a functional perspective. Insurance is essentially another kind of line of business of financial services. What was most different about insurance was I was going from this massive organization of 270,000 people and how do you collaborate and socialize your decision-making across that kind of complexity to now what I regard as a small business, which of course isn't at a multi-billion dollar company of insurance, also part of an even bigger company, Allstate, but run much more entrepreneurially, move much faster and take more risks than a Wells Fargo could take. Yeah, the interesting thing to me is you essentially were working at Wells Fargo in financial services and you focused the next phase of your career on a specific vertical of financial services. I'd still call that an industry change because it's more specialized, but you moved from being the SVP to the chief marketing officer at eSurance. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? 
Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Tell me a little bit about what you think the difference is when you're sitting at the head of the marketing table, as opposed to being a functional area owner, you know, when you move from being responsible for digital to all of marketing. So people talk about how it's lonely as you go higher in your career. And there's some reality to that, that at Wells Fargo, as one of a number of senior VPs across different pieces. I had great thought partnership with other top marketers and a boss who could guide and really be ultimately accountable. I mean, I had a lot of accountability, obviously, running digital marketing, but there was the rest of it and how do you pull the pieces together? I had also led some important work at Wells Fargo that was a nice bridge of integrative marketing. How do you bring all the offline and the online together from both a functional perspective, a process perspective, an organizational So I was veering into that at Wells, but becoming CMO is now the first time the buck stops here thing was really true. I had a great team and I built it out further, but ultimately you're making the decisions. And if you need a thought partner, there's more risk to it. Like the CEO doesn't know marketing. My my sales partner was awesome and a really good thought partner, but it's not the same thing as deep marketers to really have a sounding board. So that part was challenging at first. But then you learn to have outside people you trust too, as well as how do you leverage your own team and your peer group and knowing what people are good at to poke it and push your own thinking. So as you're at an elite level of your career function, you're a CMO, a publicly traded company, a well-branded, well-recognized company, and you realize that you're sitting in the organization without a peer group. How do you think about formalizing who you use as your peer group outside of the organization? Because I'm assuming that, A, people are outside of the organization, don't know the politics inside the organization, and B, there's got to be some risk talking to people about what you're doing outside of the organization. I guess the metaphor is loose lips sink ships. When you're talking about what's happening in your job to somebody outside of the organization, that can get around. Right. So there's several important sources. One is, and you set this up in the beginning of this podcast with CMO coaches, I've been very fortunate to be both coach people over the last couple of decades quite a lot, as well as be coached. And getting a coach who could help me think through navigating certain complexities in a very safe way was extraordinarily powerful for me. A second was much more informal mentors or peers who I trusted where, you know, you can't tell them certain things, but especially if there are different industries or just people you deeply trust and respect, you can talk about a lot of things and have sounding boards. A good example, the CMO at Wells Fargo remains a key mentor for me to this day. Jamie Moldovsky is a phenomenal business leader and CMO. And I look to her still and we have our semi-annual lunches and talk when we want to talk. And there are others I lean to and talk with and support them too. I am their counsel and their coach and they can be that for me, both informally and formally. And then there are peer groups, organizations outside. There's a group called the CMO Club. 
there's the C-suite network, there's CMO Council, there's a number of these organizations who can give you peer groups. Some of them are more about research and reports. Some are more about get together and talk with peers. They can be very valuable too when you're at the C-suite. So it sounds like there's some organizations that are able to provide you with some peer support, but a lot of what you've done is continue to manage the network that you've built in your career. You fostered those relationships and kept them going, even though you've left the organization, and then also look for people that were in similar functions at the same time. Absolutely right. We all need support. We can't know everything, and we need to learn both functional skills. That's another actual point I want to make, rolling back the conversation a little. What does it mean to be a VP, even a director often, but especially at the VP and above, you are going to be managing functions and people who know things and know how to do things you don't actually know how to do yourself. I'm coaching somebody right now who is just learning that she can't be expert in everything and she needs to count on people below her to know things that she can't know, either because she doesn't have the time to be in the detail anymore or because she actually never knew this part of the function as well. You learn this at least by the VP level, if not the director level, and how do you guide others? Well, that skill supports you at the CMO level where you're managing a lot of functions that you can't possibly be expert at And that's about how do you build the right teams? How do you structure your teams the right way? How do you make sure there's the dynamics of integration across those teams? And then bringing in outside support for yourself and for your team. So you've actually been involved in an organization outside of CMO Coaches specifically that helps provide mentorship. You were on the North American Advisory Board for the CMO Council. Tell me about when you're in an executive leadership position and you're also taking on additional responsibility, how do you manage your time and balance the demands for your attention in an organization when you have so much responsibility and then participate in other capacities outside? side of work? So first, it's about being purposeful in how you spend your time. Staying internally focused is critical within an organization, but you actually serve your organization way better by having an external focus too, because you learn so much from others. So yes, while I have given by being part of an organization, serving on advisory boards and so forth, I learn and get at least as much out of those organizations as I give because you hear people's stories. You learn from their successes and their failures much as they can learn from your successes and your failures. And it's being purposeful and intentional about how much of your time you spend that way and why you're doing it. And if you come at it from a perspective of generosity of how can I give and how can I serve, and at the same time knowing that I'm going to get and I'm going to learn, Even here, the questions you're asking me, Ben, teach me. What are people curious about? What people want to learn about? And what are your own insights? I learn in a conversation like this with you as well. Well, that's always nice to hear. It's true. And it's how do you approach the world and knowing that if you're only focused inside your organization, one, you're going to probably forget the customer centricity, the consumer centricity, which every marketer has to always hold center and dear and the humanity of that, not just the data of that. But it's so hard to hold on to that if you're not looking externally and talking externally, because that grounds us. I think that's one of my biggest questions for you and for all of the CMO coaches is, 
as you move up in your careers where you've reached the mountaintop for what most of us would consider the mountaintop for success as a marketer being a CMO of a large publicly traded company. That is a lot of people's career goals, but there are trade-offs in terms of the lifestyle and just the demands for your attention. So I guess at the end of the day, it's kind of like, how do the people that are earlier in their career like me evaluate if this is the right career goal for them? This is going to sound too simple, but follow your heart and follow your passion. And when it stops being joyful at the core, doesn't mean every minute, but when what you're doing isn't ultimately giving you joy, figure out what's next. And I am very passionate and I am very joyful. And this may sound hokey, but I actually deeply believe in how do we create joyfulness in the world around us and for ourselves. And you do that through your own passion. And I've been so passionate about the consumer. I get really passionate about every business I've been in. I wouldn't go work for a company that I didn't believe in what they were doing as important helping people with their financial services, their healthcare, their insurance, their lending. We haven't talked about credible much, but helping people save just a ton of money on their loans. People are way too deeply in debt and helping people get out of debt faster. Things like that are powerful and important to me. So I follow my passion and figure out how I create joy ultimately by delivering products and services to consumers, but also in the people I work with. And how do I learn from them and how do I help develop them, whether they work on my team or work on another team, is so important to me. When it stops being valuable that way, it's time to change. And I've made my changes at those times. And in fact, I am incredible now and I will soon be leaving in about a month to pursue full-time what gives me the greatest joy of all now, which is coaching and developing people. And that's why I am now going to be working with CMO coaches and others to do that on a full-time basis because that's what I realize is where I am in my career now of how do I best support people and develop people and feel that passion and enjoy myself. Here's what's really interesting to me is that the common theme from all of your experiences that I'm hearing is that you've always had a very human-centric approach to marketing. And even before you were a marketer, your early days in college, you were interested in human psychology, right? Understanding what makes people tick. And there's this theme of being able to produce joy and follow your passions in your career. On the flip side, the industries that you've chosen are not ones that I think people traditionally get very passionate about. I mean, we're talking about consumer packaged goods. I'm sure there's joy, but maybe people are really passionate about specific types of foods and products. But when you talk about financial services, insurance and lending, it's not like the consumer wakes up and says, God, I want to go find a great lender today. Nobody does that. <laughs> These are potentially zero NPS score businesses and you're the human centric person and you've somehow figured out a way to derive great joy and satisfaction out of your career because we have to have impact on people, right? Think about it, Ben. While people don't crave talking or dealing with healthcare, financial services, insurance, lending, the impact we have on human beings and the joy we create when we have that impact. I got a letter from somebody recently at Credible, a customer, telling a story about her experience when she learned about Credible and what did it mean to her to have a much lower monthly payment and know she would be getting out of debt sooner and what that meant for her. 
we just created a couple of testimonial ads, which I created because I kept getting these stories over and over again, where people found credible. And this one woman, Shaylin, who we have a TV ad about now, she's a veterinarian and came in with way over $100,000 in debt. And she's now going to be out of debt five years sooner and saving thousands and thousands of dollars. And when she told us that, I said, would you be willing to tell your story? Because it was hugely emotional for her and her life and her husband to be able to move on from that. Another woman, Melissa, who told her story, she has all these dreams she couldn't pursue because she was just burdened by this debt. So no, she wasn't excited about debt or lending. But when she found a solution through Credible and saved $600 a month, by refinancing her student loans, that was creating tremendous joy and allowing her to now pursue other things that she just couldn't do before when she was underwater. So yes, you can create joy for people in very different ways. Yeah, this may be a little semantic, but what I'm hearing is that you've gravitated towards the industries that can have a positive impact on people. And that creates joy for you, knowing that you're able to work with customers and provide value and positive impact in their life. And that's kind of what got you and kept you into these very complex, like I said, potentially zero NPS industries. You're exactly right. For me, I needed to know I was having substantial impact on people and their lives. And then, yes, then you get to bring the humanity into the organizations and the industries to have that impact. And then you have the impact on the people around you because that's where we spend our lives. We spend so much of our lives at work with the teams we build, with the teams we're part of. And that's what matters. So you worked at these large organizations having a significant impact on people's lives, but these are big companies. Wells Fargo is massive. Insurance is huge. Allstate even bigger. And now you're at Credible. Tell me a little bit about what the difference between being the chief marketing officer at a large company and then working at something that is still a meaningful size company, but more of a startup at Credible. So I had a great experience at Insurance. It's a great company having real impact. And I had often thought about, do I want to be part of a startup? And I realized the driver for me was, could I actually help build a whole company that had a meaningful impact? And I wanted to try that and do that. And I'm so glad I've done that. And I found a terrific organization, Incredible. People can check it out at Credible.com and maybe actually save some real money on their student loans or personal loans and so forth. The reason I went there was I thought I could come in and have an impact on actually building a company that had already been started, but take it to the next level. And I've only been there about a year and a half. And as I've already alluded to, I'm leaving shortly to pursue coaching full time. But I've so enjoyed being there. And we've grown this company tremendously just in that year and a half. And it's by no means just me. In fact, I'm just part of a team with our leader, Stephen Dash, the CEO. But being part of an organization that can move crazy fast. I brought us into television and some other new marketing channels. But unlike in organizations where it takes years to sort things through, I showed up at Credible. We didn't have a strategy. We didn't have a creative team. We certainly had never done TV, bought media, had any contracts, had any agencies. But within two months, we were on air. Unheard of. You just can't do that in larger organizations. And now we've expanded into other channels and more TV. So I went to Credible because I wanted to help build a company. And I've gotten to help to do that over this time period. So people can explore whether that's right for them. But it was a different kind of experience. I call it the CMO Plus, where you're CMO and you're also a general manager and, 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 right? When you're in a smaller organization, you wear more hats. 
Now I'm moving from that because I had that great experience. And what I realize is at my core, where I get the greatest value and I think create the greatest value is by helping leaders lead better, fulfill what they want to do and make their organization stronger and make their team stronger. So I can impact a far larger number of people as a coach ultimately than I can just managing my own team and building my own team. It sounds like from an operational perspective, moving to a startup, you had essentially the same number of reps that you would have working at a larger company, like the stature of the companies that you'd worked with before. You were able to accomplish as much in a short period of time because the startup and the small team is so much more nimble. But at the end of the day, you've decided that focusing on reaching more leaders and helping cultivate their skills is where you want to focus. As you make the transition from being an in-house marketer to being in a more consultative role, helping marketing leaders develop their skills, what are some of the things that you reflect on and some of the values that you hope to pass along from your career? First and foremost, it's be passionate and care about the humanity of you, of the people around you, and realize how much impact you have on everybody around you whether that's your colleagues, whether it's your family and the impact it has on them when you're working so hard in these executive level jobs, or where your vendors and partners. I've been fortunate enough to build very strong relationships with just about everybody I work with externally because I care about them and their success too. So creating value at the center and doing it from a place of humanity will take you very far in both your career and how you feel about what you're accomplishing. I think that's the thing that resonates the most with me about our conversation is your focus on the relationships and how important and impactful they are, not only in moving up the ladder in your career, climbing up the jungle gym, or getting the mentorship that you need when you have reached the top rung. And even now, as you're in a different stage of your career, focusing on helping new people, whether it's the customers, whether it's people in the organization, those relationships really matter. And that's what provides the most joy and also the most value as a marketer. That's right. And I would add, do be purposeful. Be clear about what you're trying to accomplish and where you want to go and what your pathways are. And even if you don't know exactly where you want to go or there's multiple choices, think about what is a common thread that could be valuable to you and the value you can create. And then, yes, what are those relationships? Who are the important people who you can create value for who are also important for your success? And build those relationships. Know who the top five influencers are to be successful in each job that you're doing and really focus on that purpose for yourself, be purposeful in achieving it, and then focus on that passion. I think it's great advice, Alan. I really appreciate you making the time to join the show. Thank you very much for being our guest. My pleasure. And that wraps up this episode of CMO Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to Alan Gelman for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Alan, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you could send him a tweet at Alan underscore Gelman. That's A-L-A-N underscore G-E-L-L-M-A-N. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can also reach out on social media. My handle is Ben J. Schapp, that's B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and Twitter. 
And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we've got great episodes lined up over the next few days, including another special guest from our CMO coaching series. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.